and welcome to the Alan D Challenges podcast series. Adam here is your host today, and I'm joined by Rachel Wood. Rachel is a learning and development partner for Brendo, the founder of Hashtag Al and, which is a learning and development community based up in Leeds. She's an active mentor for L&D professionals and veterans transitioning out of the armed forces. Rachel's been working across public, private, and third sector industries to build learning capability and find the balance between human and technology to drive learning forward, something I'm very interested in as well. Her passion is for non-traditional learning initiatives, changing perceptions, and helping people see the power of learning as a cultural cornerstone of success. And we're really honored to have her here today to share some of her recent experiences. So Rachel, welcome. Thanks, Adam. It's great to be here. Let's dive into the first question then. I'm, we had a bit of a pre-chat, so I think we've got some really interesting stuff to talk about today. But let's start with something that you've, or talk us through something you've implemented recently that has, that has impacted learner engagement. And I think that's a particular story that you wanted to share on that. So, so yeah, let's yes. talk about that. Yes, there is. I mean, just to give some context, because I think it would be helpful before I Yes, please. I should have probably um, asked for that context. But, yeah. <laughs> That's all right. So Berenda as an organization is five years old or coming up to five years old. Don't quote me on that. But it's a small organization. So we're going through some rapid scaling, some rapid changes. And because of that, the non-traditional approach is really the only approach that you can take. There's nothing off the shelf that is available to you that's going to stand the sort of the test of time because things are changing so quickly. So all of the sort of learning programs, they're all very bespoke. They're all quite piloty in nature. So it feels sometimes uncomfortable, but it feels like things evolve very quickly. And I think that sort of gives enough context as to the story that I'm about to tell you about our mentoring program that was initiated I would say initiated before I started. So I started a just under 12 months ago. They had a number of different programs. They've got lots of people that are involved in wanting to progress. Some incredibly intelligent people that are working in the organization. So they started like a discovery phase on what sort of support they needed. And some of the clear questions or things that needed answers to were about how do I progress? Where do I get support from? In the context of being this evolving nature of things, we didn't have line management at that time. So we're talking like right. March 2021. There was no line management for people. So we had a program called Advocacy, which created that sort of support mechanism. It was like a hybrid mentor, coach, teacher, line manager, HR support, learning support, all in, all encompassed in one person that got assigned to you. But actually they, because of the business model, they were 100% billable. So you've got very little time with them. So a huge amount of discovery needed to go into. What was it that we were trying to achieve? Mentorship came out of that in many different ways, but there's like a working group around that. So I got brought in, I'd started, so they'd done this before I started in February. They were going through sort of like listening groups and focus groups, which, which I think is a fantastic way to start this because you're actually getting from the people what they're needing. And that gives you a really good baseline platform. And they put out sort of a MVP, minimum viable product of version one of what this mentorship would look like. So initially my involvement was, can you train people to be mentors? Now, anybody who works in L&D 
if you're not involved in the, well, why have we got mentorship in the first place? Is this the right thing? And then being asked to provide training on how to do it. Sometimes that puts hairs on the back of your neck to say, right, is this actually going to be effective? So, but it was agreed. This is, you know, as a collective group of people, this is what they wanted. So training was effectively curated and created at the same time. So we curated what we could, but we needed to create the bespoke part of this is what it looks like in this organization. So it might not look like how you've experienced it before, because here we needed it to cover much more than just pure sort of authentic mentoring. So partly curated, partly created training that was rolled out to everybody. It was very- Was that digital or was that kind of in person? What were you doing for that? A little bit of both. Okay. It was a little bit of both. So some of it was sort of resource-based. Some of it was online sessions. Some of it was in-person workshops on how to be a mentor, on how to be a good one in our organization. Yeah. Aligned with- what we had at the time, which was our values. So it was aligned to our values around sharing. So I've never seen anywhere that I've worked such a clear cut sort of link between the values and a specific learning initiative. So the value is share what we learn. Yeah. Yeah. Share what works basically. <laughs> yeah. Don't hold it to yourself and exactly. make, make sure if something works, you distribute that knowledge. And mentoring seems to be the accumulation of that sort of value in everything that you're doing because it's you helping another and them helping you in return effectively. So phase one was rolled out, I would say, August 2020. And as phase one had been, so that's all of the training had happened. People had been like, people started to be matched. That was, it was quite an admin heavy process. And for an organization that doesn't really like to do things in the traditional way, that was surprising. But we didn't have a budget to do this on a piece of tech. We didn't have really enough people to invest in in additional resource to be able to do that. So it was sort of down to a group of community leaders to effectively match people together. How did you do that? If you don't mind me asking, did you just, you know, sit around a big table with everybody's name on a little piece of paper and start putting them together? Or what was that? I mean, we had some criteria. We've got levels of consultants. So we're a consultancy. We've got levels of consultants and To keep in the mind, this was only ever supposed to be phase one. We put some criteria in that it was going to be a, if you're a principal, you would be mentoring seniors. If you're a senior, you would be mentoring juniors. And that helped us to sort of whittle down, right, okay, this is the pool of juniors that we've got. These are the seniors who are we going to match them with? And we, our organizational structure is created in like a matrix. So we've got community leaders and they know everybody within their community. So they were responsible with the support of myself and the others in the working group to be able to say, well, they're looking for these sorts of things. Who have you got, you know, these sorts of skills, they're trying to upskill in that, or they're trying to progress in that direction, or they want exposure to a new environment. This person's been in that environment. Are they going to be a good match? There was quite a lot of trial and error, and that takes time. That takes time up from everybody involved. So as phase one was happening, phase two, like the feedback to create phase two was also rolling in. And that was sort of my role to to bring that information in and look to see how we can potentially make some changes on the fly. So some of those things were done on a case by case basis. So, you know, they didn't want a linear structure they were a senior, they didn't want to progress to a principal. Okay, what's going to be the best for them? And others were, I want a mentor outside of my community. 
okay, who have we got available somewhere else? You know, so it was very much case by case basis or doing things in really small pilot groups. So we had a group of principal consultants that were account leads effectively. That's also, you know, part of their job role. Who was going to be mentoring them, right? We may need a managing consultant or we may need one of our leadership team. So it was to get them then on board as, you know, giving the time and those sorts of things. So lots of small pilots were happening whilst this was all sort of moving forward, which makes it really interesting. It just makes it messy because you've got one set of communities that are doing a process in one way whilst you're trying to change things. And I think the only way that we got through that and the only way that we got through that effectively was being really transparent and really open with our communication to say, yes, this is what this process is. We're making these changes as we're going along. We don't have the answers to that yet, but when we do, we will let you know so that you can see whether or not it's going to fit you more appropriately. So there, there was just lots of spinning plates, let's say. Would I have done that in such a sport, short space of time? Probably not. Would I have given it longer to embed just to actually get more feedback and then change things a little bit later? Probably, because I think... As human beings, we just can't think about changes that quickly and how we feel about change that quickly, you know, to feel anything other than like an emotive response from it. We were yeah, getting well, quite a lot of emotive responses, less okay. logical responses from it. Yeah. <laughs> that was so the, what we were feeling. What was some of the initial kind of feedback? Some of the initial feedback was because this was an initial change from advocacy, some people had really gotten on with advocacy and they didn't. And obviously it's your change curve in terms of, yeah. I don't know why this thing needs to change in the first place. I was doing just fine with the way it was. Yeah, um, it wasn't broken. So it wasn't broken. trying to fix something. <laughs> Absolutely. But actually through the communication with, yes, this is working for now, but it's not scalable for us. Yeah. And we grew from like 70 members of staff to like 170 members of staff within a year. Like we can't carry the things that aren't going to work for us. Yeah. So obviously quite a lot of open conversations, very honest conversations and quite rightly needed to be honest conversations. There was some around capacity of people because of the business model we have. Our people are 100% billable. So a, additional feedback came through and everybody has, whether or not it's your business model at all, but everybody has this, I don't have time for this learning. Yeah. Yeah. When, in, in the case when you're billable hours, it's like, well, which hours am I taking away in order yeah. to, in order to do this? Type yeah, of. exactly. And then that becomes a, you know, it's not just, this isn't a goodwill thing. This is something that's now expected as part of your role. So we need to carve out time for you to do this. And that means that there's a financial risk to implementing this. I mean, our leaders were fantastic about it. They understood the impact that it could have. They understood the sort of logistical issues that we were having with people wanting to be involved in it. I mean, the appetite to be involved was excellent. That was never in question, although some may have wanted to do it in a slightly different way that's absolutely fine you know yeah, didn't there, get there, was, there was a lot of enthusiasm from people which is in some businesses which is the biggest hurdle a lot of yeah, the time absolutely but with that enthusiasm came the challenge every single time when am i going to have time yeah. to do this so that that was your big hurdle for this project basically yeah y yeah the biggest hurdle i mean 
not having budget was also a pretty big hurdle. I guess <laughs> I think like a technology solution might have helped kind of, yeah, reduce the admin load a bit. It, absolutely. But also just budget in order to be, you know, we had to, I would say we had to fight for it, but we had to justify every minute somebody was not on client in training even. And that training, we tried to open it up so it wasn't even just necessarily going to support them in mentorship. It was also going to support them being a better consultant. It was also going to support them being a better colleague. So we tried to keep it as broad as possible to, to make sure that they were going to get something more than just this is the training that I need to go on in order to be able to you know, fulfill this role as a mentor. But justifying that in terms of, right, I need to take 80 people out for half a day. Yeah, that's a big cost to a business if you... That is a really big cost. Hourly, daily type thing, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. But, you know, was overcome looking back. And that, you know, that's the brilliance of hindsight is, could we have done that better? Is there other things that we could have implemented to do things asynchronously? Could we have pared that down? Did we need more of that? Like all of those sorts of questions come up. But ultimately, you know, we had phase one, the MVP version of it. We were piloting things for phase two, trying to get to a sort of like a plateau of, yes, this could continue and yes, this would still be helpful to people. And then we did like an employee survey, not like an employee, it wasn't as big as an employee engagement survey, but there was a couple of changes that had happened in the organization that we needed to get feedback on more widely rather than sort of feedback from individuals it needed to be across the whole organization every stakeholder had the opportunity did you do that anonymously out of interest yeah yeah i mean because it's an organization that's so small if i'm being completely transparent with you i could probably have identified some of those people just because of the answers that they were giving before in a 20 person company i knew exactly who answered every single one because yeah it's it's that kind of thing I mean, you know, nobody had to put their name and nobody had to put their names in. Nobody had to put the community that they were part of or the tribe that they were part of, because that's how we sort of segment and identify people. Yeah. But because of the answers they were given and because it was such a small organization, I've been talking to these people on a one-to-one basis. And I was just like, I know exactly who that is because I've already had that conversation, which I think is the power of getting out amongst people. Yeah. Because if they feel safe enough to say it to your face, you're actually going to get honest feedback in a survey. If they know where that feedback's going to, they knew that it was coming to me. They'd already said it to me. So they were fine with writing it down. Obviously, as you grow as an organization, that may not be feasible in a 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 person workforce. But it does give people some confidence that actually the feedback that they're giving is going to be listened to. And even if it's not acted upon, there are reasons that it's not acted upon and that's fed back as well. Yeah, I think being listened to is the important thing for a lot of people. Even if you don't get an answer, you always want providing there's a, yeah, it's clear that your point has been taken on board. That's the important bit for a lot of these kind of situations. Um, Rachel, where are you up to now with the mentorship program? So what has it evolved in? What's phase three, four, five kind of looked Um, on this? After we did that feedback survey, we got some very challenging feedback from quite a lot of stakeholders. And I was able to feedback into that process as well in terms of, for example, some of my feedback was, this is really admin heavy and we need to get rid of this. It needs an owner. 
somebody needs to like, you know, being pushed by a working group, but it didn't, nobody was accountable for it. So, you know, some of that feedback came in. So after I collated all of that together, and this was sort of my role in it, it was determined that although it, it was what people wanted, people did want mentoring, the scope was too wide. It was trying to, you know, we were trying to kill too many birds with one stone. We needed to go back and we needed to make sure that this was authentic mentoring, which meant that we needed to look for some other solutions for some of the other issues. So line management got brought in, wildly enough, you know, so those sorts of things, you know, it sort of expedited some initiatives that we were waiting to finish this one but we couldn't, that it wasn't working. We also had things like the matching process was really laborious. It was pigeonholing people into particular areas. It was mandatory. We didn't want to make it mandatory, but because we needed the people, we had to, you know, and because we needed to be able to justify time off client and things like that, we had to make it as a mandatory part of things. So basically that was, all of that got, brought in together at the beginning of October 2021. We redesigned mentorship phase three, which turned into a mentoring marketplace. We created a mentoring marketplace. Everybody entered bios and skills and things that they thought that they could share. We use Confluence. That's our sort of intranet space. It was fully self-service access. People are responsible for doing those things themselves. People are responsible for finding their own mentors to see what it is that they wanted. Stop doing that matching service and let people kind of swipe left or right on their own mentors, so to speak. (laughs) And although, so the metrics that came out of that, initially because it had been mandatory, it was everybody's involved in this, either as a mentor or a mentee. Some were both. But your engagement in that was really, you know, you're probably looking about 40% of of those matches were even happening on a regular basis. Whereas when we moved to the marketplace, because our scope was much smaller and it was voluntary, although the engagement was lower, every single one of those matches ended up happening. Every single one of those engagements ended up happening and continue to happen. So although your numbers might be smaller in terms of how many people are involved, the effectiveness of what's happening right now is much higher. Yeah. And to be honest with you, it's probably only a matter of time before those numbers rise, because what you're looking at now is organic growth rather Absolutely. than rather than maybe forced growth. And yeah. organic growth, as you're saying, is probably going to stick for longer because yeah. there's the drive from the individual to be a part of it. Exactly. And the thing that I was most proud of with this new solution was this was scalable for us and as we were going through like rapid growth we needed a solution that didn't need handholding and have you out of interest you obviously taking on a lot of new people have you built this have you built the mentoring marketplace into something on uh, part of the onboarding process yeah so it's part of the induction process and onboarding but it's also actually even being highlighted by line managers in sort of you know one-to-one reviews, performance reviews at the end, you know, we do them twice a year or whatever it is. And they're saying, well, have you gone to the marketplace? Have you seen if there's anybody there that's going to be able to support you in achieving your goals? All of those. So actually it's now being signposted to as well by other members 
of the organization and even the leadership are being signposted to it. You know, they can learn a huge amount of, from the people that we've got within our organization, but also they're being open to uh, our people learning from them as well, which, which brings in that sort of engagement in terms of there's investment from the top, not money investment still, but time investment. And that's what people are caring about at the moment. Yeah, like leadership buy-in is is super important. I was going to ask how many of the leaders, you'd have to give me an exact number, but how many of the leaders are mentors? Have most of them kind of signed up and on there? So in terms of the ones that have signed up, I would probably say it's a third. Some of them are doing informal mentoring, as in they they might have a mentoring conversation, but they're not on the marketplace. They're not on the marketplace, yeah. Just because we still have some criteria for the marketplace. I mean... It's not just a one conversation. It's you have, this is a building of a relationship with somebody else. So you need to be able to commit that time to they build to that relationship. They can carve out the time yeah. first. Yeah, yeah, which makes sense. So they are engaging in the mentoring conversations, but they aren't able to necessarily have a longer term relationship. And that seems to be working for people right now. And you know what? Right now, if it's working, that's good enough for me. It doesn't need to be perfect because it never will be because, you know, as we add more people, needs will change. So. Yeah. yeah and I imagine the solution may change as well in, in time. I interviewed somebody last week for this podcast, actually, and he said, Lundy is always in beta. That's what, that was his, that was his phrase. Yeah. And I thought, yeah Agreed. That's, that's great, actually, because especially in the case of a, you know, thinking bigger companies that are more static and formulaic there are like you say some things that you would do year on year that that don't change a huge amount but even in larger companies you've got companies like Berendo now coming up and moving so quickly and growing so quickly and challenging those larger companies they have to be innovative and L&D is a huge part of that this podcast is brought to you by assemble you the audio learning specialists adam here co-founder of assemble you My cousin Rich and I started Assemble You in 2022 after finding we were doing a lot of our own personal development using podcasts and audiobooks. We loved audio as a format and wanted to combine the convenience of listening to something with formal outcome-driven learning that had real impact. The result is a power skills library that helps coach and guide listeners through critical topics like leadership, mental health, well-being, productivity, growth, sustainability, and diversity, equity, and inclusion. Each Assemble You audio lesson is succinct and backed by research and real-life experience. They all include additional learning aids, including downloadable keypoint infographics, further reading lists, and testing. Listen to some free samples or find out more about how Assemble You can support your bespoke audio requirements by visiting assembleyou.com. So I'd like to ask about impact as well, actually. So it's, you know, measuring impact is A, really hard, B, really important. You mentioned budgets and stuff a few times, and this is a common thread and common theme we experience when we talk to learning and development managers. It's, or, you know, directors or CLOs, it's, you know, you've got to justify the learning budget in the same way that you do for any other department. So, so yeah, how are you looking at impact for this this program? We have some very loose metrics, let's say. Maybe then less metrics, more key results that we're looking for. Okay. Uh, So most of them are based around engagement in the mentoring program, either either as a mentor or as a mentee. We're not precious over, because we think learning happens in both parts. So we're not precious about 
the mentee needs to be doing these things. It could be, well, actually the mentor by being part of this program is also progressing themselves. And most of it is around progression sort of metrics. So have they reached the goals that they'd set? Yeah. What Like how many actions towards those goals have been achieved? You know, so the goal might, they might say it's going to take them 12 months, but they've done eight months worth of work in three months. You know, so those sorts of metrics we're looking at in terms of, yes, this is a goal. These are the things that I've been doing. Like these are the milestones that I've been doing to get towards that. We try, we've tried to stay away from number of people that are involved. Like we know the number of people are involved, but actually out of context, that means nothing. The only reason that I'm keeping a track of that is to see, right, do we need to move on to phase four now? You know, do we need to bring in investment? Do we need to do those things? So that's less of a concern for us. If pe as long as people are aware that it's there and people are wanting to get involved if they want to, that's enough for us. We're not going to force that. Like, we, we did the mandatory thing. The numbers were really low. We're not going to force it. The only other thing that we're really looking at trying to elicit is the difference between the effectiveness of the actual relationship and the effectiveness of the process. Okay. Because they're two very different things. The effectiveness of the relationship is, you know, are they supporting the objectives of our organization? Is learning actually being shared in these conversations? Is this person, you know, feeling that their time is well spent? And we do that through sort of like survey feedback, but also sort of pulse survey feedback for that mentor and that mentee in terms of, you know, we've got a technology system that we can sort of push pulse questions out to. It's just like, we saw that you've had a mentorship meeting set up. How effective was that conversation this week? Yeah. You know, how, you know, how empowered do you feel by it? Or we, you can choose whichever words you want to put in. And that's really important to understand how good your mentors are and yes. what support your mentors might be needing. But we also need to look at the process, like how easy is this process to go through to find a mentor? Because that's what's then going to drive it forward as an initiative. Yeah. And you're very smart to separate the two, because if someone has a great mentor, they will wax lyrical about the mentorship program. If they have a, a mentor that doesn't quite gel for them with any reason, they may blame the program, but actually it's the, it's yeah, just absolutely. the, the person that they're not. Kind of exactly. And actually, by separating the two, we can also be quite, we're going to say cutthroat, but we can support people where they need supporting much better in terms of, we've had this feedback, your conversational style, for example, or your ability to give feedback, or, and we can support you in that. So that yeah. starts to drive other initiatives or other learning that might need to happen. It's identifying problems quickly, isn't it? With those, and I think pulse surveys are a great way to to do that to measure how measure some of this less tangible stuff. I mean, we yeah. you know we teach soft skills, and we have this all the time. It's like, how do you measure whether someone is you know a better leader after listening to some of that content? Well, it's really difficult, but these kind of things are actually ways you can do that. Those little constant check in yeah. points to to build up a big picture. And I think just picking up on the point where you said they need to be constant. Yeah, like I'm yeah. not saying harass the people, but they need to be a consistent 
every time I have a conversation, I'm expecting to get this sort of survey through to answer yeah. these questions. It can't just be a, right, well, you signed up now. How did you find that? Okay, we're done. Part of the process almost is, right, I have my session, then I just yeah. leave my feet reflect back on it. and reflect. Yeah, yeah re reflect is the way to, to put it because that's, yeah. that's actually healthy and useful as well to go back to. I actually once had a mentor and stuck with him for, we, it was paid for by a company I was working for, um, stuck with him for many weeks. It wasn't until about week seven or week eight, no, week seven or I can't remember how often I talked to him, but our eighth meeting that I was like, this guy just isn't right for what I'm doing. He's focusing on all the wrong stuff and he's not really listening to me. And I wasn't finding it valuable. There were snippets of value in there, but it just, it really wasn't a good fit actually. And had I reflected after each session, I could have looked back on that and said, all right, there's a pattern emerging here. I really should, yeah. you know, I need to change something. Yeah. So yeah, that's super smart. And I think, so our people are not afraid to say what they're thinking. Let's put it yeah. that way which is really healthy, but also that means that there's an environment where if it's not working, there's no hard feelings. Yeah, It's not because it's the person, it's just because we're not aligned or what I'm trying to achieve may be better suited for somebody else. But until you have that opportunity, so, so in that sort of survey, we've got a question is, would you like to continue? Which we use as a, if they'd like to continue, it means it's working. If they don't want to continue, we then have a conversation with them. Is it that you don't want to continue with this person or is it that you don't want to continue with mentoring as an initiative because you don't believe, so it might be that actually we need to switch you over to coaching. We've got a coaching community. Let me get somebody that's going to, you know, be able to support you. So it's really bespoke in that way so that we can then find the next, nobody gets dropped, if that makes sense. Yeah. You don't just get, right, well, you don't want to be involved in the mentoring program. Okay. So well, how can we support you? Is it that actually you just want some time? Fine. We'll pick up with you in, you know, a month. Yeah. And there are times a year when people are overwhelmed and actually the thought of having a mentor call is just another thing they've got to try and fit in. So. Yeah, absolutely. And there are other times when they really value them because they're in that mode of, right, I need to, I'm thinking about my progression and I really want to talk to someone about this, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. Very cool. So yeah, so that's some really useful tips on, on launching a mentoring service. And I think some of the lessons from what you've been talking about, Rachel, are true in pretty much any learning and development initiative. So don't, you know, don't beat yourself up if it doesn't go perfect first time, because a lot of the time it, it simply won't. And actually, so the things that I have learned, one, nothing's ever personal. They're not doing it because they think you're bad at whatever it is that you're trying to do yeah it's because they need something specific for them we can't you can't make a program for every single person on the planet so so as long as you understand and you communicate back okay we've made this decision because but lots of people finish the sentences we've made this decision without the context without the context and without the understanding behind it so yeah my favorite sentence was this is the decision we've made because yeah, give people the opportunity yeah. to understand what kind of lies underneath the decision. Exactly. So don't beat yourself up about initiatives. Rate constantly is what yeah. you're saying. And then yeah, the way you've described this is very much, you know, how I would describe a product market fit kind yep. of scenario. You know, when we were, we raised some investment last year and when we were, when we were pitching to investors, a lot of the questions were around, right, what's your product market fit? Talk us through your ideal customer profile, all this kind of stuff. 
And actually, it's exactly the same in learning, isn't it? Your customers are your learners and your staff. And it's actually about, like you say, do you have the right products that are fitting to their kind of needs and requirements for development? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, helpfully, knowing your people is going to put you in a really good position to be able to do that. And I don't just mean know that, like, I mean, really know them, know what ticks them off and know what drives them forward. We've got values as an organization and actually the behavior of our organization does match those values. So we were able to align in that way. But if that's not how your organization's working, I mean, the amount of times I've gone into an organization say, this is what our culture is. But actually, when you're hearing things on the ground, you're like, your information moves in a slightly different way. Move to what they're doing, not what you want them to be doing, because your job is to help them move to the want to be doing. Yeah. But you can only do that if you're meeting people where they are. Yeah, you've got to start in the position where they're, they're kind yeah. of coming from, haven't you? If, especially yeah. if you want to realign their view on something. Exactly. Yeah, fantastic advice. I've got one more question before yeah. we go, because we've taken enough of your time today. And that is, if you were starting in a new company where learning engagement was low and the learning culture was poor, what would you do? So what would you look at? And you may have um, given us some hints at, I was uh, say, as you've been talking. <laughs> first of all, that is such a great question. And I think... We need to think like that needs to be our point of reflection as a constant point of reflection, because when you're in it and when you're in the firefighting stage, you can't think, what would I do? Because you're just doing you're like, I'm going to do this because I need to put this fire out and I need to put this fire out. Going into a new organization, I've gone into a number of new organizations as a new person, and it's a really privileged position if you use it wisely. My advice would be listen to people, talk to people. Maybe you do 10% of the talking and they do 90% of the talking, but reach out to where the people are. I'm a huge advocate for L&D sitting in operational teams. So, so not like necessarily... Or just or, no, it's just not necessarily sitting as like a central... Oh, is it like, actually like physically where you are? In physically okay, sit yeah. with the teams, but also go to team meetings. You know, ask if you can join in. Don't say anything. It's not your place to say that you're not part of that team, but you are there to support that team. Go in and listen to the things that they keep saying. Have one-to-one conversations. They can be like 15-minute coffee conversations with somebody at every level, wherever possible, um, and try and find the way that the information actually flows. That's a really important point. Yeah. So, yeah, someone else mentioned that, actually. How are people teaching each other because that will be going on yep. and what systems are they using and how are they doing it that's a really yep. interesting one because it might be that your engineering team is all on slack but nobody mm-hmm. else in the company uses it <laughs> yep. exactly and actually you don't want to stop that i mean being in learning and development you're not the custodians of all learning yeah. learning will happen with or without you there your job is to help people learn and to raise the profile of what learning impact has and to support the business in leveraging the learning that's already happening to get the results that they want. Yeah, you're amplifying, encouraging and nurturing what's going on already, aren't you? And adding value to that rather than implementing a kind of (laughs) solution that you like that nobody else is Exactly. You know, 
sorry, engineers, you can no longer use Slack. You have to do it our way. Yeah. They're not, they're going to just continue the way that they have been doing it because it works for them and they're getting what they need from it. And you just need to keep encouraging people to find the things that they're going to, you know, get most use out of really. Yeah. And I guess practically when you come to implement things, it's a lot, you know, as you were saying with the mentoring program, it's lots of pilots. So testing lots of stuff out before making, say, big multi-year decisions on stuff. Yeah. With different groups of people. I mean, diversity of thought in that process is so valuable to say, you know what, this is working for, this isn't working for me. Okay. How can we make sure that it is going to be as inclusive for everybody as possible, but without going over that line to say, it's like, a, you know, we're all going to become stormtroopers. Like, not like that at all. Yeah. We need to remain unique and we need to celebrate uniqueness. But there are things that we can do collectively that are going to push people collectively. And that's where you have initiatives that are a bit more wide-reaching that might support that, which, you know, coaching, mentoring, even training to an extent can do. Yeah. Brilliant. Rachel, thank you so much for your thoughts today. This has been really useful. I think anybody in a, especially in like a high growth environment or thinking of putting in a, and supporting a mentoring program will, will get a lot of value from, from what you shared with us. So really appreciate your time. Is there anything else you'd like to, you'd like to add? Is there a place where people can see more of your work or connect with you? So thank you for having me. I love talking about learning and I love talking about how learning goes wrong sometimes. So head over to, I've got a LinkedIn profile. People are welcome to connect and follow with me there. I'm sure Adam will share it. And then if you're in the Leeds area and you fancy coming to a community meetup, unfortunately, we don't run them virtually yet. We're about a year old. Then feel free to connect with me and I can give you some more information about that. Yeah, actually, that sounds really interesting. So that's that's a group that gets together in person every so often, yeah? Yep. So it's a community of L&D practitioners. So they could be trainers. You could be advisors, you could be coaches, freelance, or within an organization. We meet together every two months and it's an in-person workshop slash networking event. Mm. I mean, we've had speakers and things come in to help facilitate sessions, but we do quite a lot of stuff internally ourselves. We've had quite, we've had a couple of our coaches help to coach other people in how to coach. So, right. you know, we try to use the skills that we have within the community. There's about 12 to 15 of us that meet regularly, but we're always open for new people to come in, even if it's just that one time and, you know, you're in the, it's a friendly bunch and you're more than welcome to join us. Brilliant. I mean, I find this about the whole industry, to be honest with you, learning and development. I've rarely do you meet people that are kind of the, yeah, the slippery end of the, yeah. <laughs> of the, of the slope. But um, we like to share learning. Like, exactly. It's literally within our DNA, I think. Yeah, no, exactly. Couldn't agree more. So cool. Yeah. So definitely, definitely get in contact with Rachel if you're in, um, if you're an L&D practitioner in the north of England and would like to go to a, an event with them in Leeds as well. Rachel, it's been a real pleasure and we'll leave it there. But thank you ever so much. And I will be back very soon with a, another episode of the L&D Challenges podcast. See you soon, everyone. <laughs>